It is Thursday, the 4th of February, 2021. Chloe's bird is dead. And you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Hey kids, welcome to the show. My name is Kingdom Anthony Kingdom James. A.K.A. Anthony Redgazer. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Chloe's bird is no more. For those of you who have been following along on my social media, you will know that Chloe is my new cat. And I gave her a toy bird that chirps when you touch it, when you bat it around. And for the first month that she was here with me, she was deathly afraid of the bird. She would tap it, it would chirp, she would run away. Over the last few days, I've been documenting on Instagram and Twitter how she decided she liked the bird, and she started playing with the bird. And because I haven't been able to trim her claws yet, she has shredded the bird. I mean, I've had to sweep up fluff and and string and feathers and she uh, she completely gutted it earlier tonight. Anyways, okay. There's the extent of the cat talk for today. Uh, again, n- uh, just like Monday, I'm not going to make you wait through a whole lot of my garble today. Uh, I want to get right into the interview. Uh, I will tell you quickly, though, that tomorrow's show, uh, the Friday Patreon show, will feature Canadian independent professional wrestler Easy e Eric Kearney. Uh, we're going to do the standard talk about how he got into the business and what's changed for him over the last 12 or 13 years. But we're also going to discuss his reputation as the king of the stag and doe party. Uh, the night he almost died trying to help bring me a wrestling ring and why he thought I hated him for years after that night. <laughs> uh, that'll be tomorrow exclusively on Patreon. But for the first time ever, I'm going to make this Friday's episode available to the general public. You won't have to be a a Patreon subscriber to hear it. You just have to go to www.patreon.com slash my name is kingdom to hear the show. Uh, Speaking of Patreon, instead of the usual record scratch today, I've got a little commercial announcement about Patreon and then straight into the interview. Today's episode of the Handsome Genius Club radio show is brought to you by Patreon, specifically patreon.com slash my name is Kingdom. Subscribe to my Patreon for as little as $2 a month to help me keep making this show and receive exclusive weekly podcasts, extra panels for my comic strips, an archive of my comic book work, classic podcast episodes, and more. Coming soon to Patreon will be exclusive classic television watch-along videos. Half review, half mystery science theater, all fun. That's patreon.com slash mynameiskingdom. Join my pop culture cult today. To call today's guest a porn star would be terribly reductive. She's a writer, stripper, sex educator, adult performer, entrepreneur, and now a full-time veterinary clinic assistant. 
guys, gals, and non-binary pals, please welcome Andre Shakti to the Handsome Genius Club. Hello, Andre. Oh, my goodness. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be a member of the Handsome <laughs> Genius Club now. <laughs> well, welcome aboard. Uh, right off the bat, I have to ask, when the pandemic hit, uh, you did not waste time wallowing in self-pity. You got to work and created the Sanctuary Virtual Strip Club. Can you tell us about Sanctuary? I can. And I also, I don't want you to make me out to sound of more like super heroine-esque than I actually am. <laughs> I am a mere mortal. And I absolutely crawled into my bed and sobbed basically for two weeks. Uh, at the end of February, when I realized what was about to happen yeah. to my industry. And then I got out of bed, and <laughs> then I put my entrepreneur hat on and continued. But please don't make it sound like I didn't allow for grief. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, if you, if, you, if you knew more about me, you'd understand that I am perfectly in favor of the depressive Odin sleep. I, <laughs> I don't mind... I don't mind pulling the covers over my head and saying, I will see you in March. Uh, <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. But, yes, um, you know, I, I've been a veteran of the sex industry for over 13 years now, which makes me feel even older than my 32 <laughs> years. And, you know, stripping was my first passion. I started dancing when I was 18, like right new into college, and I haven't. Stopped. I've been dancing pretty much throughout the past 13 years, running parallel to almost every other thing I've either literally or figuratively had my hands in. And um, and it's like one of my, it's my great love. It's my great love. I adore it. I don't feel, my body doesn't feel right. My mind doesn't feel right when I'm not actively dancing. I just love everything about it. And so, you know, when the beginning of March rolled around, the severity of COVID started to finally like fall on people. Most people jump to OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. And I will say, as my tech-savvy partner diligently sits on my couch at this moment and sets up an OnlyFans account for me, that I waited <laughs> almost an entire calendar year because even though it was very tempting, two things about me. A, I hate editing video. Do not ask me to edit video. I fucking hate it. And number two... It was so oversaturated. The market yeah. was so oversaturated with new and current sex workers just waiting to dive into online work, many of them for the first time, that I just didn't want to fight that that battle. So I decided to create an online strip club because I'm an activist at heart, and it's very, very difficult for me to only think about myself in a lot of situations, oftentimes to my detriment. And so I knew in my vast stripper community – how many of my friends were hurting, were out of work, their clubs were closing. That was their primary source of income. Some of them were disabled. Some of them had kids. Many of them were black, brown, transgender, like increasingly marginalized. And all of a sudden, our means of, you know, there's always a joke in the sex industry that like the sex industry was the first industry, right? And it'll be the last one. Yeah. Well, that has really been tested by COVID-19, truly this year. And so I opened Sanctuary not only to give myself a platform to create another revenue stream for myself, but also to A, feed what I felt was going to turn into an era of chronic loneliness in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that even though I was jaded about OnlyFans, that virtual connection was going to take 
you know, a paramount, um, there's going to be paramount in this new world um, that we've created. And also, I just wanted to put some money in the pockets of my friends. You know, I was like, well, if I can help out myself. And, you know, to be honest, I'm like, I'm very entertaining. I'm very skilled. People who are fans of me are fans of mine for good reason, I believe. But at the same time, no one just wants to come see the Andre show twice a week, you know, every single week. People want to come for diversity and to engage with new people. And I really wanted to create the most authentic strip club experience that you could access on the Internet outside of a brick-and-mortar strip club. And... All of our dancers are members of the LGBTQ community. So while we cater to all audiences and all demographics and we encourage everybody to come in as long as they're respectful and want to tip us, we also prioritize exclusively queer-identified dancers, and the vast majority of our dancers are black and indigenous dancers of color, um, and we also have a decent percentage of transgender and non-binary dancers, as well as fat dancers. So not only really skilled, hot, talented, amazing, diverse people, but also typically the kinds of bodies that you don't get to see when you go to a brick-and-mortar strip club because society loves to tell us, right, who and what we should be attracted to, who and what is acceptable to be attracted to. And Sanctuary has blown that stereotype completely out of the water this year. No, and you've done quite a hell of a job with it i i actually i i bought my ticket to sanctuary last night and i uh i i, I just i lurked I'll, I'll admit that i lurked. <gasps> I yep. had no idea you were there i know sneaky, that's sneaky man that's why i did it if you saw if you saw in the uh in the screens about uh about an hour into the show um an icon of a cat pop up that just said nope that ju- and it just said nope that's my cat. That's my new cat, Chloe. That that was that was me. Oh, we love the furry friends, and I mean, if you were in there, you might have missed my intro. But I also um, I have a pretty large collection of domestic and exotic animals at my house. I'm yeah. a big, big, big animal freak, and um, so I always preface the show by telling people to expect yeah. the show to be interrupted by multiple live animals whether intentionally or unintentionally because i'm I'm just not going to keep them all created up and stuff during the show so you're frequently visited by (laughs) my dogs my cat like many of my reptiles (laughs) yeah for uh a very pet friendly show for 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 my for my wrestling for my pro wrestling audience that's listening today uh yeah andre's puppy did a run-in last night in the middle of one of her numbers so (laughs) There was, and there was, there was no referee to tackle the puppy. So, um. No, there was no referee. And so I'm like, you know, sometimes there have been times literally where, and I've had this, this puppy, he's about 13, 14 weeks now, something like that. I lost count, but I've had him for about a month and a half. And there were times when we first got him where he would literally just be, I'd be, you know, welcoming people in, like chatting folks up, being sexy. And he just would be in, full plain view of the camera just taking a giant shit like (laughs) on the ground behind me and i have to like wing this and make it like a funny like cute thing that i'm now cleaning up dog shit on but you know what i i think honestly i think i'm so unbothered by it because i think the 
exchange, like the trade-off is much more valuable, which is that these, like this whole time, this past year during COVID, we have been able to access, and I say we as like the, the general like muggle civilian population, mm-hmm. you all have been able to access such intimate parts of sex workers in ways that you weren't before because if you're being responsible as you should you're spending most of your time inside your home and if you're now doing digital work now your fans your customers like your friends are all now seeing the inner workings of your home they're seeing like the way the way that you decorate they're seeing like your furniture they're seeing like your partner or your husband or your wife, like, coming through. You're, they're seeing your animals. So I feel like it really hypes up the intimacy and the, like, uh, opportunity for, like, intimate connection mm-hmm. with sex workers in the way that we all jumped to be virtual back in March. And I think that that is a really special, cool thing. Um, so yeah, the trade-off is sometimes my dog's going to shit on the floor. That's the trade-off. <laughs> okay. So, so it, it actually makes me wonder, um, uh, uh, just the nonsense that would go on in any regular strip club. Uh, have you had a hard time transitioning from stripper to basically strip club owner? I mean, you're, you're, yeah. ma- you're management now, right? You're hiring and firing. I'm it. I'm it. I am the sole person behind Sanctuary. I do (laughs) all of our website design, all of the ticketing sales. Like, the Zoom account is mine. I do all the onboarding for new dancers. I'm, like, doing all the promo and the marketing and the branding and our sponsorships. It's I'm doing strip club DJ a lot of times. I'm playing some of our dancers' music who don't have the ability to share sound through like the zoom interface. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of nights where I am like, I'm just like one hand, I'm like letting people in via Eventbrite. The other hand, I'm like playing somebody's music. I'm also monitoring the chat to make sure nobody, you know, is being disrespectful or inappropriate. So it's a lot. I'm fortunately very, very good at multitasking. (laughs) Otherwise I would fail dramatically at this position. have, Um, Have you had to bounce anybody from the, from the virtual club? Yes. So there was one, only twice though, only two times. We actually had our first wanker the other day. I think it was last week. But I mean, we've lasted like 11 months without having this problem, you know? So, and I I think that that's also, you know, again, it's not, this club isn't solely for LGBT audiences. Mm -hmm. But I think because we get a very high percentage of the LGBTQ population coming in, they're just less likely than the average, you know, straight cis guy to just pull their genitals out and start <laughs> wanking it on Zoom. So I, we did have one wanker that my partner caught very early last week that I had to reject. Yeah. And then there was just one guy who kept coming in. He came into every show for three months and he didn't tip a single dancer. Uh. And I war- I gave him a warning ahead of time and he gave me attitude and then he tried to buy a ticket for the next show and I just blocked him for being able to buy a ticket because I understand that it's entertainment but what I'm sure I'm I'm preaching to the choir right now with you yeah. but what a lot of people don't realize is that this is labor first and foremost and just because we're having a good time with it and just because we are tying our labor intrinsically into arousal it doesn't make it any less legitimate to compensate us for that labor and so 
sometimes, you know, that, that can be like a hard, a hard concept for some people to understand. We'll just put it that way. Uh, speaking of your, your management role, um, how, how is talent chosen for the shows? Sure. So initially it was like anyone I could get, right? When I was just trying to get it off the ground, I like called all of my local stripper friends. I have a pretty big community here in Baltimore. Um, I lived here for like six years doing undergrad college and um, starting my stripper career here. And then I moved to California for like another six and a half. And then I moved back here in 2018. So I was able to like recultivate and reconnect with everyone. And so initially it was like me texting 10 of my friends and being like, that were that were queer strippers being like, hey, here's this new platform. Do you want to give it a shot with me? Yeah. And just onboarded them. After about two months, when we realized that the thing had actually had staying power and that people were actually interested and we were starting to grow a little bit, at that point I became much more intentional about the casting, so to speak, and the onboarding, and I created kind of a policy around it. And the mm-hmm. policy is that Again, we are a majority BIPOC strip club. I am a white woman. I am very Italian looking, so a lot of people <laughs> don't get that right away. Yeah. But um, I am white, and it's extremely important to me um, to, you know, if I am going to be creating this resource for sex workers, I need to be first and foremost creating it for the most marginalized and the ones who are the most vulnerable within our community because they're the ones who aren't offered these kinds of opportunities very often. So at that point, we started prioritizing black indigenous dancers of color, trans dancers and um, trans and non-binary dancers and fat dancers or curvy dancers. And so, you know, we don't go for, I don't go for, I keep saying we, it's me. I don't care about your social media followers. You know, I've applied to certain virtual strip clubs and they always ask in the application, you know, put your profiles here and share your numbers. I don't care if you have zero followers I don't care if you don't have any social media accounts. I'm not going to hold that against you and I'm going to hire you, you know, or um, people who are like, well, I've never I've never used Zoom before. I don't know how to do a virtual interface. I will spend hours with them on like a random Sunday just on the phone with them, teaching them how to use Zoom so that they can effectively work sanctuary. Um, So I, I try and really get the folks that need the money most. We have a speckling of white dancers at Sanctuary. <laughs> so I always, I always What I'm an like, amazing phrase. White, you better, yeah, exactly. I'm like, if you're white, you better blow me out of the water with like who you are as a person and your experience. Because I'm sick. I'm sick. You're a strip club DJ. I'm sure that you are also sick of certain clubs, aka the vast majority, yeah. only showcasing thin white able-bodied, long-haired, stereotypically feminine, young women. Like, that's how we're trained, we're socialized to desire. And fortunately, so many of us break out of that mold in our adulthood when we realize that we're not actually limited. Hey, look, I might might have to go back to work after the pandemic, so I don't want to say too much. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, ah! Oh no, 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 no. Fucking hell, Andre. I don't love every dancer. I'm the mean one. Every girl in Ontario who doesn't work at my club or work there for a little while and got let go 
has a story about the mean DJ. Because Oh my god, whatever. The mean DJ is only <laughs> the DJ that I will tell you what girls when they say a mean DJ from a stripper and you know this, I'm more so yep. speaking to our audience. But when you hear a dancer say, I hate our DJ, here's why. Either they will not trade sexual favors with her for some kind of like preferential spot. Um <laughs> They will not always play every single song she tells them to play for her. Bingo. And or she doesn't tip them out at the end of the night for their labor. So therefore, as we were just speaking about with, you know, sex workers being recognized as having as performing legitimate labor, people who are adjacent to the sex industry like yourself also struggle with that. And so I always in my entire lifetime, no matter if I walk out with $50 or 500 I will always tip my security. I will always tip my DJ. Because, listen, the DJ can make or break your income mm. sometimes. And so that's that. when I hear, oh, the DJ sucks, I'm like, hmm, let me work with them for a little yeah. while. Let me tell you if the DJ sucks or my, not. My club, <laughs> my club has rules, okay? My club has rules. Mm. And I am expected to enforce said rules. And do I agree with them all? No. Some of them are really rather stupid. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting paid for. So yeah, I, I, I realize that especially with baby strippers, I might be the first person in their adult life who's ever said no to them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can i ask you i know you're playing it safe right now yeah sure be my interview okay but can i ask you what the most ridiculous rule and it could be the club you currently work or you most recently worked with uh-huh. or it could be a past one what's the most ridiculous rule you've ever seen be enforced in a strip club environment okay i've worked at two i've, I've been working as a strip club dj for 20 years Mm-hmm. This this past December, a month ago, was my 20th anniversary. I spent it sitting at home. Congratulations. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first club I worked at, I worked at, um, I basically bounced from club A to B, back to A, and then to B. And I've been at B for uh, 16 straight years now. But mm-hmm. the, fir- the first club I worked at... Um, if one of the owners came in, and I was working daytimes, if one of the owners, okay. if one of the owners came in, uh, girls had to go back to back no matter what. The club could be empty at noon if if this guy came in back to back. So there were times where I had four girls on schedule. You know, there were four girls in this club, and they were going. Back to back, back to back, no to back, break to songs. Back to back. You know, we get to we get to you know six o'clock, and it's like, yeah, uh, enjoy your eighth stage show of the day. So yep. that was. You know, I'm a freaky. I'm a. I'm like a crappy stripper when it comes to that because one of the things that got me into stripping was the um, dancing. Was the exercise. And (laughs) so I actually, like my club, you know, my club's been, we haven't closed the entirety of the pandemic. We reopened for like a month in June and then we reopened from like October to the end of November and we're still closed from that. Um, But, you know, I, I really, one of the reasons I've been in my club for two and a half years in a very transitional industry is that I, I really love the way they do things there. 
But I am that crazy girl that, like, when people are like, oh, like, you don't, like, um, I don't want to go first, even though I got here first. Well, somebody go first for me. <laughs> I'm the person who's like, yes, I will go. Yeah. And I will literally just do, like, yoga, like, sexy yoga stretches and do, like, a cardio warm-up on stage. And for me, like, I hate, I hate the more brothel-style clubs where there's no real stage money to be had. They don't yeah. really care about pole tricks or, like, entertainment and the girls just sit around all day i can't work somewhere like that i need to walk out feeling like even if i didn't make any money that i at least got like some really good conditioning (laughs) (laughs) well here i love those days (laughs) let me I'll, i'll tell you about the rule that causes the most consternation between me and dancers at the club i'm at now and it's really simple and it's really simple i'm not allowed to play rap music yeah. Oh my God! It's one of those clubs. Yeah. So um, how do you feel as like a man of color, like not being able to play rap music? I mean, is that like it, you know what? Do I'll, you feel some kind of way about it, or are I, you kind of like no? Because you know what? I'll tell you the truth. I don't like a ton of rap music. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Hold on. There's a lot of stuff that that comes out the currently now. That is just so awful, just so manufactured, so not enjoyable. But I'm also not expecting, I'm not expecting girls to say, uh, hey, pick me, you know, some obscure rap song from the 90s that you still love. Yeah, I got some cool, I I got some cool Modi here. (laughs) Yep. I am, I am a, So my old strip club DJ, we were just talking about this before we started the recording. But my like beloved strip club DJ at my home club, um, he was there for 25 years since the club opened. Um, He uh, he just passed away from a COVID related illness um, on New Year's Eve, and that was really hard for all of us because he was just so wonderful, and he was uh, an enormous big teddy bear of a black man. And he would not play. It was not the club's rule. It wasn't the club's rule. Yeah. He wouldn't play any music that had the N word in it. Well, neither will I. And I don't, I don't, I, yeah. okay. He, he, uh, we would have gotten along famously because yep. I, yep. I give the speech. Uh, n- n- girls on their first night at our club get a tour of, because we're basically two clubs, uh, main floor and then the executive lounge where I am upstairs. And, um, uh, every new girl gets a tour of the club, uh, learn the layout, meet the staff, hear the rules. And I am like the second last person they meet. And I go over, I go over the DJ rules. And I've been doing that for like a decade. So I've given the speech probably about 10,000 times. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there are times where girls come into the DJ booth to pick their first set of music, and I, you know, I say, okay, no, no rap music, nothing with the N word in it, blah 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 blah. And then the first word oh, out yeah. of their mouth is, um, uh, "Do you have Common?" You know, yeah. <laughs> or do you have? Like, uh, do you have anything with Megan the Stallion? Yeah. Do you have? Okay. Hold do you have? On. Do you have? Do you have? Do you have August Alsina? And I was like, I've gotten to the point now where, thanks to my reading glasses, where I'll just, I'll do the old man thing, the professor thing, where I'll just push them down to the end of my nose and stare at them over the top of my glasses. Like, didn't mm-hmm. I just, didn't I just say a thing? 
my god, I love you. Oh yeah, I would do some good. I love late nineties, early two thousands, like hip hop and R and B. So yeah. I would, I, Mike and I, my old DJ, we used to do some good, like H Town, knocking the boots. <laughs> we used to do. Uh, he would even play like some old roots stuff for me sometimes yeah. like we like we made it happen like it's just come on ladies like but, just extend your musical yeah your musical inclinations but there's there's there's, there's plenty of new stuff that i like and i'll sneak in like you know like i i play that i'll play the hell out of lizzo uh if somebody yes. came if somebody came and said they wanted to dance to earth gang i'd love them forever I wish I could get away with playing uh, Run the Jewels, you know? Ooh, yeah, yes. you see? See? I'm fantastic. What about <laughs> what about some good, like, uh, some good September by Earth, Wind, and Fire? Are we, like, um, feeling Earth, Wind, and Fire? September? No, not so much. <laughs> no, September, September gets played in my club once a year guaranteed there's no way there are some songs that i just give into the song september 21st uh-huh. uh I, I i play september um yep. on fridays at the end of the night during the you know the the, the break songs at the end of the night there's a good chance I'll you're going to hear no i'm going to say there's a good chance you might hear friday by rebecca black no matter how oh awful us yes oh. No, no, that's just that's just a sadistic move on your part that I cannot get behind. Oh, listen. I was with you until that point. Hey, listen, I've pl- at that point at two in the morning, I've played seven hours of your music. Now it's time for Daddy, <laughs> and I have had girls dance to uh, Godzilla by the Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, yeah, a handful of different Weird Al Yankovic songs. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you, do you know the TV show, uh, the trailer park boys? I do not. No, oh, I'm not, okay. I don't watch a lot of TV, unfortunately. Well, there's, there's a song by one of the characters on the show that I play once. I, I play for a while. We were doing the end of the night was country Mondays because I just, sometimes I need some Willie Nelson to get over what I've been through the last few hours. <laughs> or some Johnny, some Johnny Cash. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Yep. I like, I like really, yep. really old country. Any country song that's younger than, than I am is probably not getting played. But, uh. I feel the same way, actually. I mean, I'm a really old country and blues person, not oh, so much yeah. bluegrass. But like country and blues, and I even get into I get into like I like Gary Clark Jr. for example. He's like yeah. more modern blues rock. But yeah, oh, oh my I God, love I, I love Gary Clark. As a matter of fact, somebody requested a couple of Gary Clark songs in Sanctuary last night, and I was very pleased. Yes, I danced to Pearl Cadillac. Yeah, uh, and then somebody else requested uh, I think Bright Light, Bright Light. Yeah, I think Gigi um, danced to that. Yep. So yep, yeah, so. so I was happy. <laughs> Okay, listen, we're talking about strip clubs. I need a good strip club story from you. What's the most ridiculous, oh. outrageous, like who's the most who's the most famous person you've danced for? Spill some tea. Oh name a name. Oh my god. Name a name. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um Do okay, it. I have Do to it. Think. Again, you're doing like 13 years, so I have to think. Um Okay, so here's the thing. In <laughs> Baltimore, we don't get very many famous people coming to Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Maybe some Ravens players, some Orioles players, but I'm not a huge sports ball person, so it's usually like after they've spent their money and left that <laughs> someone runs up to me and is like, they're a quarterback for like such and such, and I'm like, cool. 
And then in California, I was living in San Francisco and Oakland. Mm-hmm. All of like the quote like famous people are all like high functioning like tech executives. <laughs> so like I've lap danced um, the owner of uh, Pandora, okay. um, the guy who owns Pandora. Uh, I lap danced at a private party for um, one of the people who owns um, GoFundMe, uh, the fundraising platform. Um, I also gave a lap dance to the person who owns Airbnb when <laughs> afterwards I gave him a very stern talking to about how his platform discriminates against sex workers and he did not care. Um, you know, but that's, that's pretty much it. I'm not like an L.A. stripper or anything. I have yeah. friends who work in Los Angeles that are like, Courtney Love came into my club. Or like, Natalie Portman. And I'm not going to be that girl. I'm not <laughs> going to be that girl. I'm 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 in Toronto, which is probably number three on the list of North American cities that are going to get flooded with famous faces. So mm-hmm. so we we've had we've had plenty of people over the years, uh, some of whom some of whom have had to be kicked out, which is terrific. Uh, oh yeah, they're always the worst behaved. Uh, the black eyed peas tried to smoke pot in our champagne room. And on back-to-back nights, uh, Dean Kane and Casper Van Diem got intoxicated beyond belief and belligerent. And uh, both nights, my our manager had to chuck them out. And I think the second night was uh, the first night was uh, Dean Kane, Superman, and the second yeah, night. Guy who used to be Superman. Yeah, and he's a, he's an utter fucking jerk. Um, but the second night, it was Casper Van Diem who had played Tarzan, and our manager oh had him by the scruff of the neck and said, "Look, I almost beat the shit out of Superman last night. I don't give a fuck about Tarzan." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, maybe there's something to be said for these men who play these, like, you know, hulky roles. Like, I would hate to just find out that every single, like, one of the actors that I love from my Marvel and DC uh, movies was a dick. So hopefully it's just a few, a few bad apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most right? of the, most of the... Uh, most of the celebrities that have come into our club have been, like, just fantastic. Like, I mean, there are celebrities that I've thought, oh, I fucking hate your output. And then I meet them, and it's like, hey, Chad Kroger from Nickelback is fucking awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I am not a Nickelback fan, but one of my guiltiest pleasures is Matchbox 20 because yeah. my father was a with them when I was growing up. So I saw them live like seven times. I met Rob Thomas a few times. I like have all the lyrics memorized and I always say it's like the whitest thing about me is my love of <laughs> Matchbox, Matchbox 20. 20. Very no good. No one can give it to me otherwise. I do not care. And now that I think of it, you just specifically ask what like my like best or craziest strip club experience was. Yes, please. I am going to I'm going to turn that around and say that it happened when I was a customer oh. at a strip club in Ontario. And oh. the, I don't know if you know, it's called Sundowner. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. That isn't your club, is it? <laughs> no. No. But the... <laughs> oh, my God. What? What? What is it? The club that I started at was co-owned by... 
uh, the owner, the original owner of the Sundowner. So the Sundowner is oh fucking notorious. It's also the last place. It's also the the. the uh, oh no, I shouldn't say it's the last place. I almost got into a fist fight, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the Sundowner. The Sundowner is rather notorious. So now I definitely want to hear this story. All right. Okay. So very quickly. So this is about five or six years ago, and it was before I had officially cut ties with my blood family, which, honest to God, I should have done way before this, <laughs> but I was really, really trying to make them come around to the whole queer and, like, sex worker thing. Yeah. And um, so I brought – I'm also non-monogamous. Um, I date multiple people at the same time with their full enthusiastic consent and permission. Mm -hmm. And um, – at the time, I was with my partner, uh, who was transgender, and we were both dating. Um, we were in like kind of a triad with another cisgender man. So it was the three of us. And these, my family's met them before, but it was the first time they all came home for Christmas in New Jersey, where I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. And long story short, it's a disaster and a half. I mean, like, the grandmother starts, like, talking about like you know how she doesn't think that like gay people should show any affection in public because it's rude and <laughs> offensive and then like the guys start making out at the dinner table to like prove a point and then like there's screaming involved and then like my uncle starts talking about being like a police lieutenant and like how he's not racist and like oh my god it was bad <laughs> and so we decided Literally, we left, like, Christmas Eve dinner, um, and we were supposed to stay there for another three days, and uh, and one, one guy was like, fuck this. We're going up to Niagara Falls. I just purchased a hotel room on the falls for the three of us for the next three days. That's where we're spending New Year's Eve. We're getting out of here right now. And we just grabbed our bags and drove all the way up to, to the American side of the falls, right. and we stayed there for the next three days. Now, New Year's Eve rolls around. The three of us, big strip club fans, we go to Sundowners, all right? We've never been there before. So immediately walking in, like, I had a great time there. The vibe was great. Like, the girls were hot. I liked the stage layout and, like, these weird little, like, bucket seats almost that are, like, around the stage, you know? Yeah. And um, within half an hour, we were easily, because we're all, like, queer and alternative looking, we were easily the most popular people in there. So we have, like, all the girls sitting with us, and, like, we're tipping everybody, and, like, shit's, like, going good. These women pull me on stage, and I mean drag me under my armpits when I'm not looking, onto the stage. One of them sits on my face, oh, and the hello. other one starts sucking, sucking on my tits, pulls my shirt up and starts sucking on my tits on stage. Just in the middle of like New Year's Eve evening. Yeah. So I'm having a great time. I'm <laughs> very, very gay. I'm having a great time. And after this, one of the girls is like, hey, do you want to go do a line of coke off my ass in the VIP room? And I said, <laughs> having never done cocaine before, Anthony, having never done cocaine before, I'm like, yes! <laughs> so I'm looking like go back to the VIP room and this girl and I are like grinding on each other and she's putting like a line like up her stomach from her punty and I'm just fucking I'm on cloud nine and I come I came back to um to the guys uh, I did not drive by the way I did yeah. not drive there I came back to the guys and I was like hey dude it's like just FYI I'm feeling great um but I just did coke for the first time and I want to be responsible and let you all know that just in case like God forbid something happens. 
And my fucking boyfriend turns around, we've been dating for like four years at this point, and says, how could you not know that I have a severe, deep, traumatized hatred of cocaine? And completely wasted, dashes outside in the snow at like one o'clock in the morning. It was like negative 11 degrees. So then Q... His his voice, like our shared partner and I, now also drunk, fucking out in the freezing cold outside Sundowners, running after my boyfriend, who is just like running into the road because he doesn't want to drive with us because I did cocaine and I should have known better. So it was just like this crazy circus of an evening. Um, we did stay together after that. We did not stay together permanently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not because <laughs> of the coke. But, um, yeah, it was just one of, like, the most, like, dazzling, like, nights of my life. And I have Sundowners to thank for it. So. <laughs> yeah, when you mention Sundowner and coke in the same sentence, you notice how I didn't even blink? <laughs> no. <laughs> that makes perfect it's sense It's just a way me. of... Yeah, it's stripping culture. It's like it's like everyone. It's a miracle. Like I honestly didn't drink until I was twenty one, or like smoke or do anything. Not because I was like super straight edge, or because like my friends were all luscious and were just like constantly embarrassing themselves. And I'm like, I don't want to be like those people. Um, More like I don't want people to look at me the way they look at those people. So, um, and I didn't. Again, I didn't try cocaine until I think I was twenty seven. Um, so I spent all those years in the strip club, like, uh, culture just being like, oh yeah, no thanks. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that's cool. Like, oh, you're doing some K. Oh, you're dropping some acid today. Oh, you guys are like doing like some Molly, like before work. I have fun. High five. Like, you know, and then like, then like holding them as they throw up in the bathroom later. Like that was my job. Okay. And now as like into my thirties, I'm like getting more adventurous, which is really funny. I okay. think it's really, really funny. I have okay. I have I have two quick things I have to tell you now that yeah, you made yeah, me yeah. think of. One is if you say you weren't in, you were you know in your twenties before you tried cocaine. Don't worry, I was forty seven before I smoked pot. <laughs> the first time I ever wow. smoked the first time I ever smoked pot was uh, Pride Weekend in Toronto, and um, oh, blame it on. Just no, blame it on the no, gaze. not blaming it on the gaze. Just it's just how I remember when it happened. Did not like it. Tried uh, tried again uh, a few weeks later. I ate a pot brownie that um, would have knocked no. out a would have knocked out a horse. We uh, it was after a wrestling show in Hamilton, Ontario. We we went to, a bunch of us went out to eat afterwards, and by the time I ordered it, it, it was hitting. And I, I told, I told the boys, listen, when the waitress comes and brings our food, I'm going to ask her to package it up and I'm going to pay her. In the meantime, Brendan, give me your keys. I'm going out to lie in the van. And I just went and tried to fall asleep in his van. Uh, the other thing. That's what people don't realize is that like everybody start, I won't say everybody, but most people when they start out with weed, they choose edible yeah. because it feels safer to them. It feels more familiar. It's food and somehow people in their minds must think it's like somehow more like diluted or something because no food i don't know what the the thing is but they're always wrong and people do not understand that edibles are some of the most powerful and like you have to be so insanely careful when you're dosing 
way more than like taking a bong rip or taking a hit off a joint. But that wasn't know? that wasn't my problem. My problem wasn't that uh, I thought it would be safer in a brownie. My problem is that it was a brownie. I'm going to eat a quarter of a brownie? Who the fuck am I? No, I'm going to cookie monster this whole thing and hoon it down my pie hole. And then a half hour later, 45 minutes later, I was like seeing strobes of light coming off my uh coming off my cell phone like the matrix and I thought, yeah, I I'm just going to go I'm going to go attempt to sleep this off. The the other the other thing I had to tell you and this you coke at the uh, fucking downer reminds me of this is a dancer who once told me a story about being at a wedding uh, and I think she and this other girl may, uh, they were bridesmaids and the other girl was like just out of it she was ripped she could not maintain so uh, the this girl took her into the bathroom sat her down on a toilet leaned her head back and took a straw and blew coke up this other girl's nose to <laughs> like <laughs> oh my yeah. it's just friends helping friends yeah Anthony. like a like a jump friends start friends out. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to check in with you because I know I told you I had a call at, yeah. uh, right about now but I just got permission to go as long as we want so oh don't fantastic feel Fantastic, because yeah. I'm only halfway through my fucking notes. We start, we started talking <laughs> we started talking about strip clubs, and I I uh, we it's that's a tangent. Um, yeah, listen. Well, this I, is what happens when you talk to me about my favorite subject on the face of the planet. Is that <laughs> I just like I can't shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let me let me let's let's move on to something else here, and I got to pick a thing. Um, you know, let's go with the good thing first. You you recently transitioned your love of animals into uh, what I've heard you yourself describe as your first ever day job? Uh, not first ever day job. I have worked um, in the past. I've worked at, I mean, I don't know if you can consider this, quote, vanilla work or not, but um, I've worked pretty extensively at, like, sex toy retail positions, but always part-time. Yeah. Um, and I also worked part-time in San Francisco for about two and a half years um, for a digital and physical security company. So okay. it's not that I haven't, like, held, like, civilian jobs before. It's that I've always been doing either I've been doing full-time sex work um, or I've had the sex work running parallel to a part-time position. So this is literally, like, the first, like, full-time civilian job that I've <laughs> that I've ever had. And... And I think they're on to me, Anthony. I think they know. <laughs> I think they know. Like, the head. So, yeah. So, um, I've had a lifelong love of animals, um, everything, but especially creepy crawlies. I'm a yeah. big, like, bug, reptiles, amphibians person. Um, I also love pit bulls, and I have three of them. And I have a cat. So, we're pretty balanced over here <laughs> in the household. It's like... You know, I have, like, my partner's like, yeah, I would love to move in with you one day, except your spare bedroom is literally the reptile room. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to change. Uh, so. uh, <laughs> uh, you kill me, you kill me with always, the snakes. I know, I love it. Uh. Um, but I've always had this, like, passion. So when I was a kid, like, everyone in my family um, tried pushing me into going to school to be a veterinarian. Mm. And honestly, believe it or not, I was very easily squicked out by, like, medical settings, by blood, um, 
when I was younger, up until probably I was like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though if you look at me, I have all these tattoos and, you know, I'm a dominatrix and I'm like frequently like throwing needles in people and like, you know, beating the crap out of them now. Like back in the day, I actually had a much more sensitive stomach. So I always thought, well, this isn't for me because I can't even handle seeing an animal in pain kind of thing. Mm. And so I, I left it and, um, you know, I made my career like doing like sex education and sex work and with these other little part-time jobs kind of fleeting through them. And then, um, I started actually dating my current partner about a year and a half ago and they're a, a veterinary technician. Oh. And so it was kind of a combination of a, I am aging in the sex industry. And while I'm pretty certain people are still going to want to throw money at my semi-closed body for like at least another five years, um, I do want to start making a contingency plan for as I get older, or like All, when I'm transitioning out of the industry. Always, so, always pack the parachute. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's nothing to say, obviously, that I can't continue doing my sex education webinars, yeah. my sanctuary yeah. um, while I'm working. Uh, but, you know, that was number one. Number two, I'm not no longer quicked out by anything anymore. <laughs> you really have to be hard-pressed to, like, disturb me in some way or, like, make me, like, shiver. Um, so I'm, like, I don't know. I'm, like, emotionally hardened for better or for worse. So that's not an issue. And then um, just being, you know, dating my partner and just, like, hearing them, like, talk about the rewarding elements of their job and then, like, you know, also in my mind, I'm like, well, I have a lot of animals. Like, this could really benefit me. The more that I learn about, you know, animal care, right. I can apply to like my animals at home. So I was like, fuck it, I'm doing this. So I hit the job market super hard back in November, and honestly, it was about two months before I even got a uh, an interview hmm. back. I was applying to vet hospitals. I was applying to usps to be like a mail carrier i was applying um for like admin assistant jobs but i was really hoping to get the veterinary position yeah so i got hired at a place that either has not googled me yet or uh (laughs) or did google me and doesn't care yeah um and, uh, you know, I'm really lucky. You know, I just finished my first week there. And the owner of the practice and the head veterinarian is also a queer woman. Mm-hmm. And she's made some some verbal nods about, you know, things like noticing my my knuckle tattoos that say not safe for work on them. NSFW <laughs> and knowing knowing what that meant the day that I walked in and like kind of like side eye like smiling at me and then I'm like okay like do they know like (laughs) so there's I think there's going to be that for a little bit of me like trying to feel out you know like is this something that I really have to work to not bring up uh in my personal life or is this something that maybe actually weirdly ended up being like setting me apart and like getting hired. Like I have no idea. Mm. Um, But it's, I love it. I mean, the hours are nuts. Like I have to, you know, I've been self-employed for so long. Like the hours are, are, you know, I work like nine hour shifts, nine hour shifts, nine, nine and a half hour shifts per day, like five days a week. So this last week was 
a lot of me reconciling that my house was not going to be as clean as I'm used to it being and that I wasn't going to be able to do as much obedience training with my puppy as I was hoping to do. But all in all, it's, it's, I feel really, really good about it. Ah, that's fantastic. Now, um, you say that, you know, you're trying to figure out whether you got recognized. Uh, are you still doing a- any mainstream porn work or are you, uh, are you, have you shifted away from that and you're, you're happier with things like sanctuary and things like your, your, your sex education work? Yeah. So I don't think I will ever, um, you know, I, like, I don't know. I, I don't think I'll ever, quote, officially retire from any kind of sex work. I'm definitely going to be that person, like, you know, maybe when I'm 45, who, like, finally takes down her, like, pro-dom act. Yeah. But if my regulars want to want to keep come seeing me, I am not going to turn that money away. And, like, same thing with porn. Um, you know, the hit the porn industry has taken this past year due to COVID, notwithstanding, I knew that moving to Baltimore, Maryland from California was going to mean that I barely did porn work anymore, um, if at all. And I accepted that, but I'm still open to it. And the first year that I was here in Baltimore, I flew back to California like four or five times to continue shooting in like Los Angeles and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so it really has been this past year during COVID that I really haven't shot anything for like the longest period of time in my like porn career, so to speak. <laughs> and I'm, I miss it a lot, but there's really just very few ways to do it safely. I mean, yeah. like with no risk of COVID transmission. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my partner is immunocompromised. They're disabled and I have to be extra careful about who I come in contact with and getting tested regularly. I got an offer when I was going out to Las Vegas last week for my first vacation in a year um, to shoot, but I would have had to get tested in 72 hours before I left. Mm -hmm. Then I would have had to arrive in Las Vegas and quarantined in Las Vegas for 10 days before getting a fresh test, and (laughs) then I would have been able to shoot porn. Who the fuck quarantines in Las Vegas? (laughs) People who live in Las Vegas, which honestly... over the past, like, four, three to four years, the porn industry has majorly moved out of California oh, to yeah. Las Vegas yeah. because, A, cost of operations is much cheaper, and, yeah. B, all this legislation keeps getting introduced in California to try and basically eradicate the porn industry and kick it out of the state. Mm-hmm. So, finally, the porn industry was just like, fuck it. Like, it's cheaper to do this shit in Vegas anyway and move like yeah. a lot of its operations there. So there are actually a lot of people who live in Las Vegas, which is why a lot of folks that maybe are watching porn right now are seeing like a lot of the same people. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Popping up. There's like definitely less diversity unless you're talking about again some kind of like solo show that you're like, you know, streaming from your house that you're putting out on the internet. But I, yeah, I miss porn. I miss porn so much. I will never officially retire for porn from porn. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you mentioned your sex education work, and I'm wondering how did you go from sex worker to sex educator? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I started my sex work here in in Baltimore uh, when I was an undergrad at college, and around that 
same time, um, while I was at school, I majored in, uh, I actually thought I was going to be an ASL interpreter. I double majored in deaf studies and psychology and I minored in LGBT studies. And so I had a lot of like public health, like we had classes like, um, you know, sexual health for sexual minority groups. Um, we studied all different kinds of like, um, you know, like STD transmission rates and then like socioeconomic factors and like the barriers to access and like vulnerable communities. So I like kind of got like a quasi public health education kind of through that. And I started getting really motivated to to get out there and not only, you know, perform like explicit sex work, but also approach it from like an educational perspective, especially because when I was in high school, I never had sex ed. And when I mean I never had sex ed, I mean my parents never talked to me about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't involved with my church. I wasn't involved with my church. Um, and my school didn't even have like a standard, here's a banana, put a condom on it. Okay, gays will get AIDS. Go. <laughs> like nothing. Like they had nothing. And so even when I was like a junior in high school, I actually petitioned our school board for a comprehensive peer-led sex education um, curriculum and like petitioned and got all these signatures and actually two years later um, a teacher who I was very close with ended up pushing it through and as a result my high school then adopted a peer-to-peer sex education program so this shit was really important to me even when I was younger and I didn't know that I could make a career out of it then But I became sexually active very consensually at a very young age. Mm. And I literally, there was, I didn't have a home computer in my house until I was like 16, 17. So I had no internet. (laughs) You know, I had no internet. Uh, My friends weren't having sex. And I literally had to like resort to asking like seniors in my high school um, and like reading textbooks to get information about protecting myself. And that entire experience was just so infuriating for me. Like, even then, I knew that I shouldn't be the one teaching myself this. Yeah. That it just, like, really, I think that's, like, kind of when I started becoming an activist. So, yeah, once I was performing sex work, it just kind of made sense to extend. And there is this lovely sex toy store here in Baltimore, Maryland, that is in queer and feminist owned and operated it's called sugar it's been around for a very long time mm-hmm. and i it's the best sex toy store it's the only sex toy store really in baltimore that's worth going to and i started working there doing retail sales um when i was about 20 and then they started kind of training me as a sex educator once i moved to california i went through several other like quote sex educator certified programs and i just kind of like spun out on my own um, I actually did try and go to grad school. I graduated, I graduated, uh, undergrad a year early mm. and applied to grad school to try and get my ME, Master's of Education in Human Sexuality. And I actually got accepted to a graduate program at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. <laughs> and long story short, they accepted me. And the next day, a New York Times Magazine article on oh. prostitution came out that I was heavily quoted in, and I am literally on the front page of New York Times Magazine under a headline that says prostitution. <laughs> and two, a week later, Anthony, yeah. I got a letter rescinding oh, my acceptance from this on. university. And because they were 
were a private university, I was not allowed an appeals process right. or to quote know why they did it. Wow. And so after that, you know, I was like same thing with COVID, right? I was momentarily like heartbroken, yeah. like lost, like oh my god. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to make my own career. And that's what I ended up doing. Okay. Straight from – I'm, I'm going to read a list because let's, let's get some titillation factor in here. I'm going to read a list yeah. of, of the classes that you offer on your website. And then I have a <laughs> – yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're the one who wrote them. You're the one who wrote them. So, let's do it. Let's do it. And then I have, I have a particular question. Okay. Okay. So I'm ready. From from your website, IamPolly.net, under education, mm-hmm. there are classes like Strip Like You Mean It, Pole Dancing 101, mm-hmm. uh, Dropping the Hint, Not the Ball, Flirting 101, Knuckle mm-hmm. Up, Fisting and Manual <laughs> Sex, Savvy mm-hmm. Strap-On Seduction, Beginner and Intermediate Strap-On Play, uh, Love the Whore You're With. And the accompanying love the whore you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Sex work, everything you're scared to ask. Uh, blown away, killer blowjobs for all bodies. And mm-hmm. uh, cruising for a bruising, intro to impact play. So my question mm-hmm. with, the, with, 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 classes <laughs> like, with classes like this that you offer, my question is... Mm-hmm. What the fuck does Harvard University call you and say, come teach us? <laughs> oh, my God. It was, first of all, it was Princeton. Um, I actually spoke at Princeton a few years ago. I okay. have flown out to, like, talk about. No, I, I do. I used to do pre-COVID a lot of college campuses. Yeah. But yeah, it's really funny. So, like, your, okay, li- so your, list here, your list here includes University of Maryland, UC Berkeley. Yeah. On your website, it does say Harvard. Uh, California. That that means to be Princeton. Oh, okay. California (laughs) College of the Arts, Townsend University, San Francisco State. What 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 do what do the uh the the halls of higher learning say (laughs) to Andre Shakti? Come come be our professor for the day. Well, I also want to, I want to note that, I mean, A, obviously I'm a very kinky person. I mentioned that I was a professional dominatrix, but yeah. the majority of the work that I did in porn is kink-related, BDSM-related pornography, and I've been, like, personally kinky since I was 19, mm. so that's where all the kink classes come in. Um, also, I need to update that list because I have, like, 10 more classes that I <laughs> offer, but that's a good start. Fantastic. That's a good start. So normally, when the colleges contact me, um, it's one of three things. Either there's been some kind of like consent violation at the college. So uh. let's say like the boys, the boys soccer team was caught looking at naked photos of the girls soccer team, right? Okay. They bring a consent educator in to talk to the student body or the team about consent and communication and boundaries like within an intimate context. So yeah. that's number one. I get called in to like clean up messes. Number two is I get called in for quote, sex weeks. So these are usually like one week or one month out of the whole year where like the university will put on some kind of educational like with like a focus on like safer sex practices but they'll also allow like a little bit of like spicy content in there too. Yeah. Um, and I'll get called out to do like a curriculum for like a weekend or like a week um, for the students usually as part of like um, 
I almost said the word initiation, but like when you first get to college <laughs> orientation, that's there what it we, is. Yeah. Usually as a part of like orientation at the beginning of a school year. Um, and then the third thing is when a student group on campus lobbies the university or the college and gets permission to bring me in to teach some really like sexy stuff, which usually only happens like obviously in the more liberal schools, which is why you see me presenting in a lot of California based yeah. universities yeah. because they're, you know, they might have like a queer student union on campus and they want to bring me in to talk about sex work to like the members of the queer student union, or they want to bring me in to talk about blowjobs or they want to bring me in to teach like a lap dancing class. Um, so I don't, I still don't get to teach like the crazy stuff. Like I teach, uh, breast play, like erotic asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. I teach, um, you are a wrestling person. I'm a huge WWE, WWF person. I have done Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for the past six years of my life. I'm a wrestler. So I will teach like fetish wrestling content, like people who like basic BJJ, but like in a sexy erotic way. Um, and like, like the impact play classes, all of those are a little too, much for usually for college campuses but i can still sneak some fun stuff in especially if a student group's bringing me on yeah. so that's how, how it usually happens very good uh, yeah now the more serious question and this was this was okay. probably the uh first thing i thought of when i thought i want to talk to andre was okay uh yeah well hey. uh was uh dealing with sesta and fosta which for yeah I know you just wither at the wither at the very uh, mention for for people you couldn't see me but I I just melted to the floor That's yeah what just happened. it's it's a, it's it's I'm I'm sure that having had to deal with this uh I I guess it was part past last March uh has mm-hmm. been just withering and I know you probably I think you said online that you uh you lost PayPal or one of your Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, so let me let me do like a, a quickie real quick. So okay, all right. For those people who don't know what Sesta Fosta is, it was a bill that was introduced by by our thank fuck former President Trump um, back uh, three Junes ago, three summers ago, mm-hmm. and basically. Um, Here's the thing, is that consensual ethical sex work performed between adults um, and sex trafficking yeah. of a non-consensual, often underage variety are two very separate things that oftentimes end up getting disastrously conflated with one another to the point where many anti-trafficking organizations and initiatives also do not support sex work and or actually believe that there's no possible way sex work can ever be performed consensually, despite all of the data and examples to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that when people go after anti-trafficking anti-traf- initiatives, they also end up sweeping up and harming, killing, pulling vital resources from, arresting, consenting sex workers, adult-age sex workers. Mm-hmm. And so... Every time someone, a politician or whoever, says, I'm going to be, like, anti-trafficking, it's going to be one of my big, you know, promises to the people, every sex worker in the world cringes and braces for some bullshit legislation that will not actually help people who are being trafficked. So with Trump, he was claiming that the majority of sex trafficking happens on the Internet. 
And not only that, but it happens via social media and average and, and sex work advertising platforms, platforms where legitimate sex work, consenting sex work is advertised. Mm -hmm. And so he's targeted these and these are also known as third party websites. All right. So he said, apropos of any data or like, or any research, he says, this is where trafficking's happening. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to eradicate a critical part of the Communications Act. It's either like Section 230 or 233, mm -hmm. which stipulates that third-party websites like Facebook, Instagram, etc., cannot be legally held responsible for what their users post. So if some kid is like, I'm going to go shoot up a school, and he posted on Facebook, the parents of the victim cannot then sue Facebook for allowing a platform by which their son could announce it. Right. So, which makes sense. Trump overturned it. So now, third-party websites since then can expect to be held legally liable for what their users post with a special focus on, quote, explicit or inappropriate or sexual related content, mm -hmm. which now, out of an abundance of caution of being legally penalized, most third-party websites, which also include payment platforms like PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, uh, fundraising platforms like GoFundMe, um, whatever the other fucking platforms are, all of these sites doubled down and changed all of their terms and conditions to reflect that they do not support anything sexually suggestive in terms of language or uh, photos or, or, or video photo content mm -hmm. um, on their platform. Unfortunately, this has been uh, inconsistently, is the, the best and most diplomatic mm -hmm. word that I can use, applied in practice. So, like, for example, if you are a larger bodied person and you post a picture, if you're especially if you're a larger bodied woman, and you post a picture of yourself in a tank top and some shorts on Instagram. Instagram will flag that photo in a way that it wouldn't if the same per if another person weighing 110 pounds next to her yeah. was wearing the same exact outfit for the sheer reason that there's more flesh on her body. <sighs> um, they will also, uh, you know, inter-community um, uh, words that people use like queer. Queer used to be a derogatory slur 40, 50 some odd years ago before, like many words, including the N-word, it was reclaimed by those communities. They just flag the, they just, they apply it universally. So they flag like the words and the monikers that people are used to like coming together over and finding community over. So people cannot know, can no longer find that community. Um, they took down our advertising platforms, which also had really critical um, things like uh, blacklist boards for workers, which um, illuminated in your area the clients that have proven to be dangerous or deadly yeah. that are on a, quote, blacklist. Um, message boards where we would be sharing resources on keeping ourselves healthy and safe. They took all of that down. So they eradicated a place where people involved in the sex industry can even, like, converse with each other. Um, about the work that they do. They also went after erotica authors, yeah. sex toy retail companies. Wow. Um, if you have a sexuality podcast and you want to let, like anything regarding or alluding to the fact that human beings have sex drives and are entitled to sexual autonomy and agency 
is now completely sanitized from the internet. And so what that means is that sex work is increasingly going back underground in a really dangerous way. And, um, especially with the, you know, the entire sex work industry, it seems hopping online during this past year of COVID that has had disastrous results for many workers, especially again, fat workers, black workers, brown workers, workers who don't have significant Instagram or Twitter or Facebook following, mm-hmm. um, all get targeted first. So, I mean, I got to pat myself on the back, which I do not do often. And, and just really like, it is unbelievable that sanctuary to loop back completely to our first conversation. It is unbelievable in my opinion that sanctuary is not only has sustained this long, but is continuing to grow in leaps and bounds just by itself during a pandemic. But then you add on top of like the extra labor and all of the hurdles and challenges that we had to, we have to face, that I have to face, that I have faced just trying to exist online. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's back breaking work a lot of times. It is. Really hard. I've had payment plans, uh, payment processes of mine kick me off. Uh, I've had to change website hosts, uh, three or four different times before, um, a website would even, uh, host my, my site for Sanctuary, which has no explicit content or language on it whatsoever. Right. Um, I've had crowdfunding campaigns, uh, shut down and the money, uh, kept by the campaign, specifically GoFundMe. Oh, um, shit. Uh, because not because I was fundraising for something explicit, but because they Googled me, found out what I did, and then shut it down because I was a sex worker. Wow. I was kicked off Airbnb six years ago uh, <laughs> after successfully using it for vacations only, never work for yeah. about five or six years yeah. with nothing but good reviews. They Googled me, found out what I did, shut me down, kicked me off the platform. I mean, that's just like the beginning. So, yeah, it's it's like a world of workarounds and who you know and um and yeah, like what it's like we're learning new interfaces, new systems, new platforms yeah. every single day, fully anticipating that by the following day that one will not be available to us <laughs> anymore, and we have to figure something else out. So. But don't in you case don't... anyone's interested in getting into sex work right now, <laughs> don't get into sex work right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to get so discouraged. It's going to be so terrible. I, I promise you. But don't, don't you don't you <laughs> don't you understand that the church police know what's best for you? Like, I mean, they want to make sure that <laughs> they want to make sure that you stop trafficking yourself, Andre. You're... Oh my God! You know what? Yes, it's the worst when you traffic yourself, I really, know. because that's how that's how trafficking. Also, also the last thing I'll say on it, because obviously I'm very passionate about this. Um, labor trafficking, sex trafficking is actually a very small problem, not insignificant, but mm. a very small problem in the United States. The big issue when it comes to trafficking is labor trafficking, usually of Latinx workers that are working on farms and in kitchens. But we don't care about brown people in our country, so we pretend like that's all fine, and we let them do the work for us white people, obviously yourself notwithstanding, Mm -hmm. and we turn a blind eye to it because labor trafficking isn't sexy. 
It isn't glamorous. It isn't clickbaity. It's not, there's not going to be a law and order labor trafficking, you know, <laughs> fucking uh, <laughs> offshoot. No one actually cares. So people like to focus on the rare instances where trafficking does happen, especially when it's the trafficking of young white women or girls, yeah. and then blow it up to to try and convince the public that it's an epidemic in the United States, and it's just not true. Well, so. I mean, uh, the, the fear-mongering has been the, uh, not the the exclusive province, but uh, 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 an incredible tool for uh, for both religion and politics for, well, I mean, when did... When did humans crawl out of the primordial ooze? Uh, you know, uh, so to see, you know, we mention his orange badness, Trump. Um, I'm certain mm-hmm. that I'm certain that that man's personal history means he doesn't give. He never gave a fuck about F- Fosta or Sesta, and I'm sure that that yeah. was I'm sure that that was handed to him by Mike Pence. As mm-hmm. as here is the deal we made. I'm your vice president. You sign this shit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, that's it, it, it's the, the the four years that you had to spend with uh, with a president who like literally just does not give a shit about anything other than his own <laughs> personal enrichment, me- meaning that anything that would gain him loyalty or make him a few bucks was going to was going to you know pass along the be passed along the conveyor belt how mm-hmm. do how do people at this point do something to uh fight against or to counter Fosta and Sesta are you are you the least bit hopeful that the new administration might do something about this you know, I am actually. Give me one second. I'm so sure. sorry this is happening during recording, but my earbuds just died. So oh, I just went okay. ahead and transferred to my phone. Okay, here I am. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. Um, I'm not a very hopeful person by nature, <laughs> by nature. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, when I accepted this, this job as a veterinary assistant, one of the things that I, that I, told my partner and some of my friends, I was like, God, I I hate to even say this, but another benefit of this job is that I have been a part of an industry that has been like vehemently uh, despised, misunderstood, um, victimized, uh, you know, uh, made to uh, sound like criminals. Um, targeted, uh, censored, blocked, like abused, beaten, like mugged, raped for the past 13 years. And, you know, it's really, really difficult, even though I love my work in the sex industry and I have so much pride in it. It is so difficult to be a part, a very visible and very active part of a community like that for as long as I have been. I mean, you know, if I were a weaker person, so many people um, get, you know, dissuaded out of sex work because their families or their partners or, you know, they like lose their jobs or like people come for their kids, like and like exes use uh, the sex industry as like a reason to gain full custody and they win because 
sex workers still aren't protected in any way, shape, or form under the eyes of their law, and their industry is the only legal industry in the United States that doesn't have workplace protections. And when I say legal, I don't mean prostitution. I mean all of the other kinds of sex work out there that are completely legal, that still lack any of the benefits or protections or even acknowledgement of every other legal labor industry in the world. And that does something to you after a while. That, even if you have the strongest mentality around it, that beats you down emotionally, it beats you down psychologically, it beats you down physically. So I really am enjoying and leaning into being a part of an industry that you literally would have to be a monster not to get behind, which is taking (laughs) care of animals, (laughs) you know? So, like, like, I'm serious. Like, I just, it turned me into, like, this cynical, like, you know, depressive, always assuming for the the worst, always waiting for the next shoe to drop, even after I claim a success, kind of human. And I just don't want to be that person anymore. And yeah, I mean, Biden signed a bunch of executive orders upon like his first 48 hours in office that I can absolutely get behind. I mean, he ended the transgender military ban, which is huge. I have a lot of trans friends who are in the military mm-hmm. um, or were in the military prior to the ban. Um, he signed, I can't think right now, but he signed a lot of other like really amazing legislation um, into law in the past, in the, the first few days of his presidency. And so yes, that and with nods to the LGBTQ communities. So yes, that does give me hope that he also will, if not eventually, turn his attention to the sex industry as another marginalized community that Trump spent a lot of time demonizing over his presidency. But it's not a strong hope. It's yeah. not something that I assume is going to happen. It's not something that, like, you know what I mean? I mean, Kamala Harris, as stoked as I am to have our first black and Indian um woman in in a, as in a vice presidency um i hate kamala harris i lived in san francisco for almost oh, seven so years so you know she i know what this woman has done not only to black and brown communities by over incarcerating them for minor offenses like marijuana possession but i also know what she has done to sex workers and I know that it's too much to hope for to get, like, a super openly sex worker positive, like, you know, politician in such a high prominent office. Yeah. But she went out of her way to criminalize and arrest and incarcerate people involved in the sex industry who were just trying to live that did no harm to anybody who were just trying to provide for themselves. And that's something that I just have a really hard time forgiving and moving past. So I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Sorry to be so dour. I like No, I mean I wish I could be like, yeah, we're gonna kick their asses and like sex work is gonna like come no, back it, and like you know, like I just I just don't know. You, I just don't you, see it. You gave me you gave me the answer that is in my head. You gave me mm. the it I am I'm neither a fan of Biden nor Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I, you know, I know enough about both of their histories to, um, to think, okay, well, 
this is this, we haven't repaired the leak in the dam. We just have a little Dutch mm-hmm. boy putting his finger. <laughs> so, you know, now the the thing that encourages me about uh, about the current administration is that there are enough progressive people behind them pushing yes. them forward. Yes. So you give. You give Bernie Sanders the purse strings, and you let Andrew Yang do something with labor, hopefully. You know, yep. these, these are the people. And you let AOC come in, because AOC oh, has been a God, very prominent supporter of decriminalization of sex work, which, if anybody here is listening, there very quickly, there are three kinds of ways to quote uh, – that are often posited as next steps to take with the sex industry. Um, one is legalization, which sounds really awesome, mm-hmm. but it's not what the vast majority of us want because what it would do would be to legalize the work, but it would also place a regulatory board of old white men <laughs> um, who don't know anything about the sex industry except, you know, to patronize sex workers once in a while yeah, I was and say, hide and lie about it. I was going to say old white um, men, old white men, a.k.a. secretly clients. A.k.a. clients, a bunch of Johns, okay? <laughs> it's to put a bunch of conservative Johns yeah. um, in control of, quote, regulating us. Because, mark my words, you legalize us, you don't decriminalize us, mm-hmm. and what will happen is the same shit that's happening right now, which is that people don't trust sex workers in the same way they trust plumbers or teachers or bank attendants yeah. um, to regulate their own industry safely and successfully. So that is not something that we want. There's also the Nordic model, which criminalizes patronizing sex workers but legalizes sex work Mm -hmm. so what they do there is they don't throw sex workers in jail but they target and throw clients in jail which obviously kills the demand for the sex work and then puts the sex workers out of business by consequence Mm -hmm. and then there's decriminalization and what we want is decriminalization we want the ability for our work to a not be criminalized and for our clients not to be criminalized and also just like every other labor industry legitimate labor industry in the u.s the ability to regulate our own industry internally and that is what decrim would do so i think you kind of asked me before like what civilians or like muggles can do right Mm -hmm. now to like support Follow sex workers online. Do not listen to anything anybody has to say about sex work unless it comes from the mouth of somebody who is in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Go directly to the source for your information about policies, about what the work entails, about health and safety. Um, Support workers, you know, share their content online, boost their content online guaranteed not a lot of eyes are being drawn to it it's being censored it's being shadow banned but try and get the word out and then speak up because people don't give a fuck about sex workers crying and screaming and like wailing about what is being done to us via the um attitude around our industry people don't care about that they need to see people that they see as being like them 
standing up for people in the sex industry in order for them to feel like, huh, maybe this is something I should care about. And so please be one of those people as much as you can to your own safety. But honestly, if you're a non-sex worker, you already have way more privilege than we do. So please get in the habit of wielding that privilege for good. And also patronize us. We need fucking money. We should like, buy shit from us. Like fucking like buy some dirty panties from someone that you really admire or like, you know, like get on OnlyFans and subscribe to some OnlyFans or fucking come to Sanctuary. I mean, you don't have to patronize me. Just patronize someone that like really needs it because sex workers are in t- are one of the most critical elements of our society and people just do not fucking realize that. Um, just like we need arts and culture, which were also things that we're not getting a whole lot of this past year. We also need the sex industry. And so, yeah, like read up on Sasa Fossa, read up on, um, follow sex workers, read what they have to say, take it to heart, share our shit in your networks, champion for us. Um, because we will fucking, we're loyal. Sex workers are very loyal, and we will love and appreciate you for it. Fantastic. Okay, let's wrap things up. Give us, let's do it. Give us one last good sales pitch for Sanctuary, your virtual online strip club, and then tell people where they can uh, find you online. All right, y'all. Sanctuary Virtual Strip Club is the only monthly or weekly LGBTQ strip club happening on the Internet. We have shows every Thursday, every Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern. You can visit our website, SanctuaryTheClub.com, and mission is always just $5. And we also have a very special twice-monthly show called Sanctuary Noir that happens at a special late-night time slot and is a fundraising show. It's an entirely BIPOC cast, and it raises money through ticket sales for a different cause or initiative each month. You can check that out. We also do private parties on Zoom um, for your birthday, your bachelor party, your divorce party, you got a new cat, whatever the hell it is. We will help you celebrate it in a very memorable and COVID-19 free way. We are Sanctuary VSC, that stands for Virtual Strip Club, on Instagram. And we really hope to see you soon. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and, and then, where else can they find where you am online? I? Yes. Yep. So I am Andre Shakti. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-H-A-K-T-I on pretty much every single platform. I'm Andre Shakti on Facebook. I'm Andre Shakti on Twitter, um, which is the safest place for sex workers to live and congregate and hawk their wares currently on the Internet. So if you haven't gotten a Twitter account, highly recommend it. I am Andre underscore Shakti on Instagram. And basically, you can just Google me and find all of my both salacious and more... uh more mainstream palpable content <laughs> fantastic all right andre shakti thank you very much especially for extending your stay on today's handsome genius club radio show very much appreciated uh that's gonna wrap it up for today kids take care of one another find some good trouble to get into your uncle kingdom loves you bye <laughs>